Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Well, today marks the end of our six-week series on visioning. We spent the last six weeks on and off talking about what vision is and what vision is not. We've talked about the importance of praying for the vision, and hopefully you've caught the connection between faith and vision and how this is God's vision for our church, not just our own vision. And today, today I want to take a few minutes to talk about unexpected opportunities that will arise whenever a congregation has a clear vision for its future. This is important because sometimes when we start talking about our mission and our vision, we get the idea that once it's in place, we always have to say no to anything that doesn't fit the vision. And for the most part, that's true. The whole reason to have a clear vision is to help us to stick to the plan, not to get distracted, to stay focused and on target with what God has given us. That's what Jesus did. He didn't let anything keep him from his goal of going to the cross. Because having a defined vision can be a very powerful thing. To have a clear picture of where you're going and how you're going to get there has the ability to let someone focus and have intentionality in their lives. Another way to define vision, like we have here for our church, is to clearly articulate what a preferred future looks like. There's another person in the Bible that had a clear vision for their life, more so than any other person, more so than Nehemiah, like we've been talking about for the sermon series, and that person is Jesus. He had a clearly defined and articulated preferred future, and that preferred future he worked toward was one where the relationship between God and man was restored back to its former glory, restored back to like it was before the fall of man into sin. And Jesus, from the day he entered this earth, in his body at his birth, he strove forward to accomplish that vision. This vision eventually put him on a cross, lying dead in a tomb, and rising again to new life three days later. But in accomplishing this vision, there were there were opportunities that arose where Jesus was able to minister to people. As he walked along, time after time, people called out and asked for Jesus' attention. But here's the thing. He also noticed and took advantage of these opportunities along the way, and that's what I want you to be aware of. All day yesterday, we got together and worked on a new vision for this church. And we'll continue to tweak and polish that and make it our own, specifically naming some target groups and strategizing how best to minister to them. And the vision statement will help us to be intentional and to stay focused on carrying that out. But also, as we are doing that, we also need to be aware that there can be some unexpected opportunities, some divine opportunities that God will present to us along the way. Why? Because a clear vision often breeds unexpected opportunities. It does not squash them. And so one might wonder, what's an unexpected opportunity? And to answer that, we can look to Nehemiah. 
In Nehemiah 2.18, Nehemiah said that, uh, that the hand of my God has been upon me for good, and also the words of the king have, have spoken to me. And they said, people said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. That was their vision, to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. Now we looked it up. The length of the wall that they were building is 2.5 miles long, just about. The average height is about 40 feet tall, and the average thickness is about 8.2 feet. So any math people out there, if you do the, to find the volume, you multiply all those together, that's about 4.3 million cubic feet of earth that was, that was moved around, not to mention the building of 34 watchtowers. As you could probably guess, the neighboring people groups in the surrounding countries, they didn't like that. And God's people caught slack because of it. They actually had to post guard day and night to make sure that they weren't attacked while they worked on the wall. And actually, while they were working, the builders actually had to wear their swords just in case they were attacked. All the while praying and trusting in God to protect them. And resistance from the outside, that, that can be expected. But in today's reading, as the last of the readings for our sermon series, we hear about another people group who are having trouble with the building of the wall in Jerusalem, and that, that people were the very workers doing the work, and their families. Scripture tells us that Nehemiah heard an outcry from the, the people, something to the effect of, we're tired. We've been working relentlessly on this project while neglecting all of our other responsibilities. We're in debt. We don't have any food, and we don't see any way out of this. Did that distract Nehemiah from his task? Did he ever allow anything or anybody to take him away from building the wall? The answer is, of course, no. No, he did not. And he didn't allow the people to get him off task either. The mission and the vision were to build the wall. But here's the deal. He was also living with these people. He, these were his friends. They were his countrymen. He knew what was happening in their lives. And the problem was that the work of the wall was taking a heavy toll on the workers. To begin with, they were running out of food. Since everyone was working on the wall, there wasn't anyone left to go out in the fields and harvest the grain and the fruit. Some were even selling their land in order to get enough money just to buy food. And to make matters worse, they were still were obligated to pay taxes. And so since they weren't generating any income while they were working on the wall, they were forced to borrow money to pay the taxes. So they mortgaged their lands. And finally, they had to mortgage themselves and their own children. Can you imagine? Back in those days, family members were actually used as collateral. If you couldn't repay a loan, your wife and your children could be sold as slaves. So as you can imagine, the people were losing interest in rebuilding this wall. And who could blame them, right? They were failing hopelessly and, and falling behind financially. They were losing their homes, their land, even their families. And on top of all of that, a few of the wealthy families were profiting from all of this. They were charging interest to their fellow brothers, 
They were the ones who had the food and the money, and they were loaning it out to their countrymen at interest. So what does Nehemiah do? Does he ignore these folks and their problems because the only thing he cares about is rebuilding this wall? No. No, he sees this as an unexpected opportunity to minister to the people. And so Nehemiah gathers all the wealthy folks who are taking advantage of these poor folks, and he tells them to stop it, to knock it off, to give the money back. Now, not only charging interest was against Levitical law, but these common workers who were building the wall were being taken advantage of. People were being hurt. They were losing their property and their families. So Nehemiah said, stop. Even though his primary focus was to build the wall, he also sees the unexpected opportunity to help his own people, to minister to them and to show them God's love because this was an unexpected opportunity to enter into God's vision and to take it to new levels. Nehemiah's dealing with this financial issue may very well look like a distraction from the work of building the wall. And, but to, the takeaway here is that what might look like a setback might actually be the God-ordained way forward. And what we see as a distraction might actually be the best way to minister to people. Because as we develop our vision for this church, we hope we, hope we get a good, good idea of what it will look like. However, we don't know exactly how this, this will play out in real life. Only God knows that. So as we move forward the best we can, we also trust in God to see it through. As for this visioning process, there may be some of you who are still unconvinced that this is the best way forward. Or perhaps... Based on this sermon series where we focused on Nehemiah, you thought we would finally be building a physical structure. Because why else would we spend so much time hearing about a guy building a wall? Well, what he was actually doing was helping to build or actually rebuild the kingdom of God. And that begs the question, especially as we look at our text, as we apply it to our day today in our lives what does building the kingdom of God look like? Well, to some, sure, it means literally constructing a physical building. And it can be so tempting to have that as your only definition. And it's tempting because you can just hire somebody else to design it. And then you can call in the experts to do the work. And then you can just sit back and watch someone else do it. I can remember my dad saying that he loved hard work and that he could watch it for hours. But I don't think that's what God had in mind when he called us, the disciples of Jesus, to do the work of kingdom building. You see, he calls you, you who are amateurs, to do the rewarding work of sharing Jesus in your daily lives because God has placed you in certain relationships, at certain times, to be able to speak truth into the lives of family and friends and your words. Based on your relationships, have the ability to sink in way better than any expert. And that's because, in a sense, you are the expert. At least when it comes to knowing how God has worked personally in your life in the faith that God has given you and the relationships that you have with him. 
You are the one who can speak with authority as to what is possible with God in your life. You are one who can speak with authority, who has been comforted with peace in a difficult situation. And you can speak with authority about miracles that you've witnessed. And when experts speak, people listen. Now, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. It's not your job to convert anyone. And I know that's the, uh, the case because on your own, it's impossible. But when you speak about your faith in God and the promise that God extends to all who believe, God's able to use that. And he's able to create faith in the uh, lives of the hearers. The Holy Spirit is able to, to get in and, and soften the hard-hearted. And he's able to breathe life into the spiritually dead. So this, this is what kingdom building looks like. It looks like building a wall. Kind of like what Nehemiah was doing. Brick by brick. Except it's the people who are bricks. And sure, you can gather a bunch of bricks together. You can even stack them up. But for a brick wall to stand securely, you must also have mortar. And... If people are the bricks, then it's the shared experiences and the close relationships binding brick to brick the mortar. You need that sticky stuff to hold it all together. And when that mortar includes the word of God, well, then you're really getting somewhere. And what a blessing it is that we get to take part in the sharing of this message of love in the relationships that God has given to us and that God is so willing he loves us so much that he willingly died for you. He died for all of us so that we can stand before God fully forgiven, washed clean. Because Jesus had a mission and a vision to save the lost and to bring life to the dead. It was Jesus' mission to go to the cross and die for the sins of all people. So if Jesus had gotten distracted and not accomplished his mission and vision, what would happen to us? Well, we die, spiritually and eternally. And there would be no hope. There would be absolutely nothing we could do on our own to save ourselves. But thankfully, Jesus had one thing on his mind, to die and to rise again, to give us hope and to give us eternal life. That's what he came to do. And yet, all along the way, he finds these unexpected opportunities to serve and to love people. And we will find other opportunities too, unexpected opportunities for ministry that come along because we didn't see them at first. But as we build relationships with people and as, as we get to know the needs of our community better, these needs will come to the surface and we'll find that they have come from God. And that is a great blessing to respond to them. Amen. And may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.